Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Okay, so we are close to finishing chapter 22. We might, and then I, as I said in my email, plan to kind of pick things up a little bit so that we get the flow of things. Because um, if you go too slowly, you kind of, you don't see the forest from the trees, so to speak. You don't remember the flow of the story, if you, you know, to some extent. So we've ended on text 50, right? So text 51 of uh, chapter 22 of Canto 4. Maharaj Prithu completely dedicated himself to be an eternal servant of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, transcendental to material nature. Consequently, all the fruits of his activities were dedicated to the Lord, and he always thought of himself as a servant of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the proprietor of everything. So um, he was a ideal, so he actually came to teach two things, right, Prithu Maharaj? Uh, the, to be an ideal king. Um, also, he, yeah, he taught how to do our daily activities, whatever our daily activities are, right? Um, and have that help our spiritual practices, right? You know, because like for myself, so my field is conflict resolution, right? That's what I, that's my profession in, uh, for, the, for the government. I work for the, uh, and I work mainly with Native Americans, American Indians. I go to reservations all the time. Um, so I could, you know, so how do I do that activity when I'm doing mediations, when I'm meeting with people? And uh, if, if not connect it to my spirituality, not have it like, my, this is my spiritual life here, and this is my job, and n neither the two shall ever mix. Now, of course, it's not that I you know, do a mediation. I say, okay, now everyone sit down. Um, okay, now we're going to chant Hare Krishna for 10. No, I don't do that <laughs> for 10 minutes, right? Um, but at the same time, for my own personal meditations, I don't, I'd like my, um, my life to be holistic, right? Not, not, I mean, of course, we, we, de we do de departmentalize our life to some extent, right? That's just part of life, right? You know, we have our relationship with our, let's say my, my relationship with my son is different than my relationship with my wife, which is different than my relationship with my coworkers and different than the Native Americans that I'm working in. There's, there's differences. But I think there's a way to, um, to, be, to make things, uh, a holistic is a word that comes to my mind, or dovetailed is another word, um, at least so that they're not like totally different. <clears throat> you know, and one is taking me away from my spiritual pursuits, or, right? Um, it's easy working with Native Americans because they, they actually are um, very likable people and um, and also, even in their day-to-day -day lives, they bring their own spirituality to the table a lot. You know, um, 
in talking to them. And I go to a lot of their uh, um, ceremonies and things just as part of my job, the dances and the powwows and things like that. Thank you. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so here, Prithu is showing us uh, what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's a king in bygone times, and he's uh, showing how he dovetailed his day-to-day -day job, we could say, which is not an easy job running a kingdom in, in yesteryear, not an easy job, and uh, felt that it was part of his duty to, um, to see that citizens were happy and well taken care of, and if, if that was their interest, to, uh, pursue their, to, to feel free to pursue their spiritual uh, endeavors. So that's, that's what he's uh, teaching by his example here. And there's some uh, practical instructions in the purport about karma yoga. Uh, anyone can practice karma yoga, but it's especially easy for the householders, the married folks, who can uh, install the deity of the Lord in the home and worship him according to the methods of bhakti yoga. Uh, and this includes the nine items of hearing, chanting, remembering, serving, worshiping the deity, praying, carrying out orders, serving Krishna as a friend, and sacrificing everything for him. And then Prabhupada goes on to talk about um, in one's home or in a temple, the deity is considered the proprietor of everything, and everyone is considered the deity's eternal servant. So imagine having that consciousness, that, uh, that kind of... Uh, relationship with the Lord where one even thinks, uh, what is that, uh, that song? Manasa deho geha yokichumar arpilu tuo pade nanda kishore. Right, that the, the devotee is praying that, my dear Lord, whatever I have in this world, um, it's yours. And I, I'm your servant. Just like even the Bible, right, says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You, know, you come into the world with nothing, you leave the world with nothing. And... Uh, and we temporarily have things in our possession. That doesn't mean we don't take care of them, we don't take care of our family and things like that, but we actually understand that there's a proprietor other than ourselves. And that's, that's, a, that's an elevated state of consciousness, but it's, a, uh, it's also a liberating one, right? Um, because one, it, it puts things in perspective, right? <clears throat> like, you know, the whole... It's not only America now. We, we talk about the America, American dream, right? About just you know, going up the ladder of success and et cetera. The problem is we want to make sure that we, as we're climbing the ladder of success and we get to the top, that the ladder is not leaning on the wrong wall, right? right. So that, and that happens. That happens a lot. So, uh, and then we had Shravanananda Prabhu uh, just leave this world recently. And, uh, and my wife was there at the hospital every day uh, with uh, his wife. Uh, consoling her and things like that. And so, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's uh, been on my mind lately, you know, what, what are the priorities and what is, uh, what is the level of my spiritual practice and what do I want it to be? And it's, they, they don't match <laughs> right now, right? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, we talked, we kind of went about a bunch of things there. Uh, some thoughts, comments, questions? Prabhu. Yes, Han. Um, Prabhu, you said uh, 
I want my life to be holistic and right. I really like that because yeah, we may be dealing with different types of people but we should be dealing with from yeah. this point that from the spiritual conception may not yeah. be showing outwardly but the backbone of our dealing should be from the, this one. I, I really like that. And it's not hard, like, I, like all the people at work know that I'm uh, vegetarian. And so with they, you know, they're always like on, you know, um, even one of them downloaded that app, uh, Happy Cow, which tells you about all the vegetarian and vegan options, uh, restaurants in the area. So like, you know, one of them said, okay, well, let's say we're all going out for lunch today. Where can we go? We have to go where, where uh, Brian's, you know, can eat. So, you know, they're, they're on Happy Cow and... Uh, finding a vegan restaurant in the area, right? So um, it's not that I, you know, uh, go around proselytizing and making sure that, you know, you know like that, but uh, I share my, you know, my interest. And we have this uh, really wonderful woman in our, in our uh, office who's a Sufi um, and, and a very sincere practitioner of that. And we have all kinds of interesting discussions. She, she helped my wife uh, make a presentation to the ISKCON youth recently in Texas on implicit bias and spirituality, things like that. So, um, yeah, we, we, it's, um, it's good to have our, uh, it's hard, let's say, if, you're, um, if your occupation is um, a butcher or running a brothel or something like that, that would be a little harder to dovetail in, <laughs> in Krishna consciousness. But um, things like, uh, well, you're an IT professional, right? So. Um, you can think that the, uh, right, because a computer is just a bunch of zeros and ones, right? Ultimately, like mil billions of them, right? So uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the nature of the mind, right? We say the mind is, uh, is binary, um, accepting, rejecting, para-avara in Sanskrit, right? That the, you know, that, that's basically what the mind does. It's, uh, we, have, we have our ego, our false ego, our conception of ourself, and then the mind accepts and rejects according to how we identify, right? <clears throat> you know, just like if I identify myself as, well, let's say, I, just something because of my travels in, uh, in the Midwest a lot, um, as a diehard Republican. So I <clears throat> accept Fox News and I reject MSNBC, right? And if I'm, you know, a... Uh, uh, a Boston Brahmin, so to speak, right? Then it might be the opposite. <laughs> but according to our, our uh, identity, we are, the mind accepts and rejects. So it's kind of like a computer in that sense. Uh, and we know that Krishna was a mediator, unsuccessful one, nonetheless. <laughs> By his arrangement, he didn't, uh, wasn't successful in mediating between the Kauravas and the Pandavas, so we can think of that as well. Other thoughts? Yep, the blue one for your wife. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Good husband. He, he does what you tell so him to Prabhu, do. So uh, Prabhu, living as a householder um, outside the temple and um, maybe once or twice coming to temple really directly in front of Archvigra from here or meeting just the devotees out here. So we are in the outside world. And um, so trying to remember that we should not we, we should remember that we are not the body. It can be challenging because we are just living lives in the homes. We have altars. We try to offer everything um, before we eat. 
prashadam, taking prashadam and yeah, serving prashadam. Do. Yes. So off and on, we switch between remembrance and forgetfulness. Once yeah. a while, you know, movies, children are fascinated and we have to give in sometimes and to <laughs> give them company, we go with Not them. go in, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or extended family who are not really that much interested in Krishna conscious life and sometimes to have to attend the events with them too. So at all times, as long as, uh, you know, we, we, I, I feel that as long as we remember at least at the minimum that we should try to have prashadam, somewhere in some very subtle way, we remember our regulative, regulated life. We don't yeah. miss out on that. That helps us stay connected. Right stay connected and not really forget and be in more and more remembrance. Yeah, so I always like the, uh, the saying, be, excuse me? Well, she said a lot of things, but she was basically saying, if I understood correctly, that uh, kind of the theme of what we've been talking about right now, of um, living our day-to-day -day existence and things that uh, may not be directly connected with, with Krishna, um, and how to balance that. I always like the saying um, that we should be strict with ourselves and lenient with others. We sometimes tend to do the opposite, <laughs> right? Uh, but ourselves, you know, our, 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 let's say for those of us who have taken vows to be very strict about, you know, following those, those promises, those vows, um, and at the same time, uh, uh, having empathy for others who may not have the same interests as us or be on the same level of, of progress that we're on, like that. Um, but it is, it, 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 can, it is a balancing act. It is a balancing act. Uh, and uh, I guess it's good to, what is it, err on the side of caution, right? But I, but I remember, you know, I, <laughs> I feel the... The biggest regret I have in my life um, is, so I became uh, kind of like a monk, right? Uh, when I was 19, I guess, my second year of college. And um, just not communicating properly with my mother. You know, she had this whole thing, her, her other son is a lawyer, and, and she thought I was gonna be a lawyer and go to law school and drop out of school and become a monk. And um, so for those seven months, we didn't communicate. And I know it must have been a lot of uh, angst for her. And as a parent now, you know, 40 years later, uh, I could just imagine what I, what I, hopefully I made up for that when in her last year, she lived with us and we took, my wife and I took care of her. But, um, <clears throat> but that was, you know, uh, perhaps uh, that was a react, uh, how should I say it? It was an immature reaction at the time, right? It may, have, it may have been good for me, you know, my spiritual practices, but part of spiritual practices is being kind to other people, right? So I probably should have been more balanced at that time. So uh, <clears throat> it's, it's a, uh, and that's why sometimes it's good to consult. Of course, you know, you, guys, you two are exemplary married couple, but, uh, but for, it's sometimes good to uh, consult with people who've been there, done that, like Ram Baru brought up two wonderful sons. <clears throat>
And so, she, you know, she's seen it all. <laughs> and she's seen them go through so many. I remember her son was working with me when he was like 14 in, uh, in Vrindavan in India. <laughs> and, uh, and I saw, you know, all the different things that he went through. And now look at him. He's such a young, um, he's not so young anymore. <laughs> right? 42 years old, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> so sometimes it's good to consult with people who've been there, you know, gone through, uh, through things. But I, I, and I still find to this day, I, you know, it's a balancing act for me, you know. Because um, so, I travel a lot, right? I, I live in hotels like half the time. No, not half the time. That's an exaggeration. So far this, this year, I can tell you, 72 days in hotels. Because I, I, you know, I have those things they, on the app. Tells you how many days you stayed at a Hilton hotel, you know, so, um, and so that's a balancing act, you know. Where, you know, uh, so I've started cooking for myself in hotels just because eating at restaurants every day, seven days, and first of all, eating at restaurants is questionable, right? You don't know what's in, you know. But then, you also, you're, you're still traveling, and you're, how are you? What are you doing now? Salads, uh huh, right? Yeah, yes. We sometimes compare notes on travels. <clears throat> yeah. Some thoughts on that? Rambu, you want to comment on this? I came in on the back end of it, so I don't know where the conversation started exactly. And I don't, you know. started with the Bhagavatam, yeah. Yeah, okay, but I don't know the <laughs> gist of it. I That's just okay. Sort of, I don't know what, well, I don't know how to join the conversation until you fill me in what... what well, just to give you the briefing, Prithu Maharaj was, the, was an ideal king, and he, he, he was a great devotee, and he did his duties uh, in taking care of the citizens wonderfully. So that's kind of what we were talking about, how we all, we may not be kings, <laughs> um, but we do have our different professions and, and family responsibilities and our devotional commitments, and how to balance that and do both of them and not uh, go stir-crazy. Right, and I, I'm living with my 91-year-old mother, and she's not really a very serious devotee. I mean, she is a Christian, kind of, but the maximum hearing and chanting she does is newspaper and TV. And um, it's, for me, very difficult to be compassionate all the time. Sometimes I am... It's very difficult to balance because I, not really to associate with non-devotees, but at the same time to care and do service without being implicated. And I always come back to, in order to temper my tolerance, to the fact that Krishna is everywhere and he will join us wherever we are. Yeah. And and not, this is where I am, this is where Krishna has put me in my Prabhu Datta Desh, this is where I have to somehow invoke right. Krishna consciousness. And whether it's at work or wherever it is, to try and see, okay, I'm not over there, I'm here right now. Where is Krishna in this right now, here? How can I find him? And if he's not there, how can I move the awareness of myself and others maybe a step forward? Mm. And it may not be chanting Hare Krishna, maybe just <laughs> vegetarian food or something. Right, right, right. Yes, I appreciate that. I, I often, um, in my profession, have to, and like your profession, uh, have to com be concerned with compassion fatigue. Also, because my job, I'm always hearing other people's problems they, all day long. That's my, and believe me, there's a lot of problems in Indian country, uh, as we call it. Uh, not India, India in Native American. Not that there's not any problems in India, but that's another thing. <laughs> uh, right. Um, and also that 
you know, the Bhagavatam says, ahaituki apratiyata, that ultimately there's no material impediment. There's nothing stopping us from performing bhakti, bhakti yoga, for, for having devotion to God. There's nothing material that can stop that. Um, so, so we find ourselves in different situations and also in different stages of our life. Like, you know, now I have an empty nest, uh, right? But, you know, there was a time when I had a, you know, a six-month-old, right? Um, and now, you know, probably won't be long for it. He has a six-month-old. So we have different stages of life and we, um, and we may externally uh, have more time for this or more, more time for that, but ultimately we can't really make an excuse Right? Because as you said, the way a devotee thinks is, Krishna's put me in this situation, now let me make the best use of it. And there's no material impediment to, to love, to bhakti. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on? Oh, and I thought we were going to get through like a lot of verses today. <laughs> and that was a half hour on one. Okay. Um... Just give me one second. Just one second. Oops. Um, so the other thing I was thinking of doing is not necessarily reading every translation, but go to the ones of the purports that I have and expect you to do that as well. Is that reasonable? Yeah. But also telling the, the, the story. The, you know, so what we're hearing now, by the way, is uh, about Prithu Maharaj's devotional service. It's the end of this chapter. The Sana Kumar has already instructed um, uh, Prithu Maharaj, as was predicted by who? Who predicted that? Anyone remember? Someone had told Prithu that uh, the, the Kumaras would come and, and teach them. Yeah, Lord Vishnu, that's right, you got it. Just checking, see if you're awake. So here, this is a verse uh, 55. Since Maharaj Prithu was a perfect, perfect devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he wanted to protect the Lord's creation by pleasing the various citizens according to their various desires. Therefore, Prithu Maharaj used to please them all in all respects by his words mentality, works, and gentle behavior. And the purport, Srila Prabhupada says that, as will be explained in the next verse, Prithumara is used to please all kinds of citizens by his extraordinary capacity to understand the mentality of others. So we may not have some kind of mystic ability to just understand the mentality of others, but... Um, Empathy is such a powerful, uh, what's the word? Power, it's not a process, it's a powerful uh, quality, or what was your word? Power. Power, okay. It's, a, a, it's an ability, yes, to, uh, as the Native Americans say, to walk a mile in someone else's moccasins, right? Or to understand that people have uh, different viewpoints Right? We, we, we have different viewpoints. Uh, what are some of the things that influence the way we see the world? 
our background, okay, so that would be our parents, our place of birth. What else? Association. Yep. What else? What we what we read, yes, what we hear, read these days, what, what you, how you use the internet, right? Yes? Values. Your values, okay, and where, and where do those come from a lot of these places, right? Anything, what else? Your mind, okay. Previous? Purpose, okay, your purpose. I was also thinking sometimes your education. Right? Sometimes your socioeconomic background may... Modes of material nature, yes. And also our purva samskars. Okay, so these are impressions from previous lives. If we are the soul, not the body, the body we, we have temporarily, but we had previous bodies in previous lifetimes. And so our purva samskars. So these are all... So, and we all have different things. Like you were born in China? And you were born in India. Which part? Chandigarh? So, and what part of China? Wuhan. Yeah? So, Wuhan and Chandigarh are a little different? Slightly? Just, I've been to both, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And I'm from Long Island, New York. And that's totally different, also, right? And you're from South India? Andy, where are you from? Maryland. Oh, okay. Well, boring. Uh, <laughs> And Ron Brew, you were from uh, here. Oh, here also, Virginia. I was born in Arlington, Virginia. In Arlington, Virginia. Okay, there you go. But but you know, even the person who lived across the street or in the next apartment from you might be have a totally different mentality because they brought up in a, maybe a different religion, a different upbringing, strict parents, liberal parents. So we we have so many differences. It's actually, in one sense, it's almost amazing we we get along with each other as well as we do in the world. I mean, you, we don't. You just pick up a newspaper, especially these days, right? But still, it's, uh, we, have, we have so many different outlooks on life. And, um, and here, Prithu was, he was sensitive to that, right? He could appreciate that there's, as we say, uh, different shlokes for different folks. Right? A shloka is a, a verse in the Shastra, in the scriptures. <laughs> um, and because there's a tendency to, uh, what do they call them now? Internet ghettos. Have you heard that term? Right? That, you know, people go to the website or to the chat rooms or whatever of people who are like-minded. And then they just reinforce their like-mindedness and they don't broaden their horizons at all and talk to people of a different background or a different uh, thought process. And that just polarizes things even more. But it seems here that Pritu uh, Maharaj was able to not polarize, but rather synthesize, bring, uh, understand the different mentalities and the different needs, the different interests, different concerns of different people, and, and try to harmonize them um, through, his, through his leadership. Hmm. Some thoughts on that? It's not easy, you know, I think, I know for myself, the knee-jerk reaction is when you see someone who has a totally different, you know, let's say an opposing political view or something like that, to just like, you know, to question their intelligence or whatever, right? But often what happens is uh, 
you know, you sit down with that person, you find out, well, they're actually human beings also, and they have, you know, they, they whatever, they, may, they love their kids or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, um, we make all these assumptions about other people, and it seems that Prithu Maharaj was able to avoid that in his, in his leadership. How he did it? Uh, well, let's see. It says it's explained more in the next verse. Let's see what the next verse says. How's that sound? Um, Maharaj Prithu became as celebrated a king as Somaraj, the king of the moon. He was also powerful and exacting, just like the sun god, who distributes heat and light at the same, and at the same time it exacts all the planetary waters. I guess that doesn't help too much. Um, Maharaj Prithu was so strong and powerful that no one could disobey his orders any more than one could conquer fire itself. He was so strong that he was compared to Indra, the king of heaven, whose power is insuperable. On the other hand, Maharaj Prithu was, as, was also as tolerant as the earth and fulfilling various, there it is, fulfilling, fulfilling various desires of human society. He was like heaven itself. So he was the interesting combination, right? It's almost like, uh, what did, was it Re President Roosevelt's speak softly but carry a big stick? <laughs> you know, uh, remember that? Is that right, Andy? Was it Roosevelt who said that? Yeah. So he had all this strength, but at the same time it says that he uh, was as tolerant as the earth. And when you think about it, uh, the earth is very tolerant, right? The earth gives Everything that, is there anything that you, you see that doesn't come from the earth? Right? We've talked about this, right? Does, is there anything that this is made of that doesn't come from the earth? Or the microphone? Or even this? Yeah, right, right. Everything comes from the earth, right? Uh, the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat. And we, you know, we, um, we frack her. We, we drill offshore. We, we, um, we, fill the world with styrofoam and yeah, yeah, and we, what is it, you know, miles and miles long of pollutants in the, in the oceans and things like that and still the earth provides, uh, it, so, that's, so that's why the example is given of her being tolerant, right? Um, and, and fulfilling the various desires of human society, he was like heaven itself. So he was... Uh, concerned about uh, people, basically, like that. So any thoughts on Does that answer your question a little bit? Okay, there you go. TK? Yes. Um, fulfilling the various desires of others, does it mean like the necessities? Or yes, yeah, it doesn't mean like, you know, um, yeah, I want to drive 130 miles an hour in my uh, Tesla. You know, oh, you want that's your desire. <laughs> no, with, uh, it means more like necessities. You know, uh, needs, not wants, is is, and which is actually good for us, right? If you know, actually, I th it might be scary if all of our desires were fulfilled. First of all, everyone would be a billionaire. Right, so that might be a problem. Right? <laughs> or you know what I mean. But, uh, um, but needs, yeah. We sometimes talk about, I, I remember as my son was growing up, I said, is that a need or is that a want? 
he would always say need, even if it was totally want. <laughs> but, yeah. Other thoughts on this? Okay. Oh, here. Uh, at the end of the purport, it says, other, uh, in other words, Maharaj, this is an Indian saying, Maharaj Prithu was softer than a rose flower and harder than a thunderbolt. So you wouldn't want to cross him, especially hard as a thunderbolt in protecting the innocent. That's the point. And according to the Vedic system, the innocent includes the animals not just human society, but the animal society as well, as we saw in um, Maharaj Prikshit in the first canto. So yes, yeah, so uh, the praja, the uh, citizens, include animals in, uh, in the Vedic system. Any thoughts? Okay. So we're continuing. Uh, just as rainfall satisfies everyone's desires, Maharaj Prithu used to satisfy everyone. He was like the sea in that no one could understand his depths. And he was like Meru, the king of hills, in the fixity of his purpose. That's very poetic, isn't it, right? No one could, under, like the sea, could no, no one could understand his depths. So that should also be our practice of Krishna consciousness. Our devotion should be very deep, very fixed, like here, like, like Meru, and very deep, like the ocean, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, let's say, let's say as we are progressing, we start understanding more about Radha and Krishna and Vrindavan. And it doesn't mean this first time you meet somebody on the streets or something and you start going to all the deep esoteric explanations. No, we keep things uh, general and uh, applicable to the person. But uh, so that, again, it's actually in a different way a discussion about our, our external behavior and our internal meditation. Hmm? And as we progress and as we get older, um, our internal Meditation um, is really important. And also, it's important because there's always going to be, like we just, I just told you about my, my uh, son's mother-in-law. Uh, were you there for that? My son's mother-in-law just got diagnosed with stage four cancer, like three weeks after the wedding. Yeah. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, Prabhupada was talking about the... Uh, he said, why is the Pacific Ocean uh, so Pacific, pacified? Uh, why is it called Pacific? And he said, because it's deep. So the deeper our spiritual consciousness is, the deeper our Krishna consciousness is, the less we are disturbed by the upheavals of this world, which have to come. They have to come. Raise your hand if you're not going to die. Wise guy, because <laughs> he's, he's a soul, yeah, right? But you know what I mean, right? Uh, we're not, right? The, you know, the only thing we're sure of, right? Raise your hand if you're not going to get old. Raise your hand if you're never going to get sick. 
<laughs> There's a cough, just to prove it, yes. Uh, so, you know, these things are inevitable, but, but you know, the other example is given of, um, of a tree that has deep roots, right, is not so up, uh, upheaval. But the other thing was, uh, I was, uh, Radhana Swami was talking about the time he went to see the, um, what are the big trees in California? The redwood trees, right? And he said there's two reasons that they survive. And one is that they actually, their roots don't go so deep, but they make networks with the other trees, right? So a sadhu sangha, the association of, of de like-minded devotees, gives us strength. And the other reason is that they, can, they bend. When heavy winds come, they don't snap. They bend. So, you know, we, we can learn a lot from those trees, can't we? You know, if, if we're too rigid sometimes, you know, uh, we can snap, right? But if we can go with the flow of life, which is always taking us this way and that way, and um, it can, um, we can progress. So any thoughts on trees, mountains, and oceans? Yes, Andy. Yeah, just quick, um, rigidity, is, rigidity is associated with death. Everything that dies becomes... Uh, rigidity rigid. is associated with? Death. Death. So the more you're rigid, you're just inviting death. It's better to be flexible. Mm. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. So uh, the next, I guess we'll read the verses. Uh, Maharaj Prithu's intelligence and education were exactly like that of Yamaraj, the superintendent of death. His opulence was compared to the Himalaya mountains, where all valuable jewels and metals are stocked. He possessed great riches like Kuvera, the treasurer of the heavenly planets, and no one could reveal his, his secrets, for they were like the demigod Varunas. Again, secrets, you know, you don't just... Uh, Tell everybody your deepest, dark, not darkest, but even your, your spiritual aspirations, you know, you, you keep them to people that you have trust in, right? Any thoughts on this? Carry on. In his bodily strength and in the strength of his senses, Maharaj Pritchu was as strong as the wind, which can go anywhere and everywhere. And as far as his intolerance was concerned, he was just like the all-powerful Rudra expansion of Lord Shiva or Sada Shiva. It's interesting when you think about like the strength of, um, you know, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Bumir Apo Nalo Vayu, right? Earth, water, fire, air. And if you think about them, so powerful, right? An earthquake, powerful, right? And then the, then the uh, I was in... Uh, I went down to Chennai after the um, tsunami that was the cause of the earthquake and I was living in India. So powerful. And is water powerful? Look around this temple. For those of you who don't know, this is not the normal decor. <laughs> we had a flood up to here um, about three weeks ago now, almost a month ago. Yeah. Uh, so water is very powerful. It creates... In incredible amount of, one of the dumpsters, big dumpster, ended up two miles 
down, just got swept away by this little creek that turned into a river. And so is water powerful? My God, is it powerful, right? So earth, water, fire, is fire powerful? Right now there's huge fires in Alaska. Because uh, uh, I work with the Department of the Interior, we also deal with um, smoke jumpers, the guys who parachute into fires and, uh, and things like that. So a lot of them have been, uh, their headquarters in Boise, Idaho, but they've been sent to Alaska to deal with some huge fire, fires there. Fire, what the fires in California last year? So devastating, right? So earth, water, fire, and air, right? Hurricanes. Um, you can still go, because I, I go there for work sometimes, you can still go to New Orleans. I think it's, uh, they don't call it district. What do they call it? But anyway, and ward. Ward? Parish, yeah, number nine. It's still devastated to this day, uh, one of the places in, you know, from uh, Katrina, right? So wind can, so, you know, um, the different material elements, earth, water, fire, air, are, are, um, can be very powerful. Of course, they're also very useful, right? Like we said about the earth earlier, earth, water, you can't live without water, right? Uh, fire, you know, and, um, most of us like to eat cooked food. Right? Any any uh, raw raw people here? Only raw. No. I know one sannyasi who's uh, what's his name? Amala Bhakta Maharaj, who's eaten raw for 50 years now. He's 87 and he's still like. Yeah. You want to eat raw? No, no. <laughs> really, if you don't. <laughs> Microphone? Okay. I do actually Monday to Friday in the morning, lunch and breakfast. Okay, so two days, twice a year, twice a week. No. Monday to Friday. Oh, Monday to Friday. For lunch. five days. Uh, oh. I don't eat anything in the lunch or breakfast. I just eat and fruits. Well, you're a sadhu. <laughs> well, when it's uh, zero degrees out, do you put the heat on in your house? That's a different. No, I'm just saying. That all, my only point is, I'm not joking. But my only point is that fire is helpful um, sometimes, right? And uh, air, of course, the air that we breathe, and uh, there's nothing like uh, you know, on a humid day, a, a cool breeze, and things like that. There's so many songs written about, you know. Giving away my age now, Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts, is that right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but so it's, it's uh, interesting how these things, when, when um, useful, can be super useful, but also super powerful. Right? Yeah. And in this way, they all have personality as well. The different, like the, the earth, sometimes the earth is really violent with. Her, uh, earthquakes and sinkholes and mm -hmm. that kind of thing and wind can have uh, be very angry kind of angry wind but yeah. also gentle breeze wind and right. just like a person you know has different moods and different uh, water right. also can be very yeah. powerful and angry and violent but also gurgling brook the, yeah the, the demigods I guess their energies yeah yeah and no, there's nothing like a, a nice um, uh, fire in your home, you know, if you have a uh, a wood stove or something like that, <laughs> it's yes, very, very good point. I've only been in one earthquake. I was here 
when the, the DC earthquake hit. It was on Prabhupada's disappearance day. But then what? It took seven years to fix the uh, Washington, well, the Washington Monument and the um, National Cathedral. They actually, I, I know some people who work in the cathedral, they actually went into debt. Even though it's a national cathedral, you'd think they'd have billions, but they actually really struggled to pay for that, uh, that repair. So, yeah. Powerful stuff. And you lived in Earthquake Loca. <laughs> you lived in California for so long. Um, I also I get uh, emails whenever there's an earthquake anywhere in the world because part of the Department of the Interior is the uh, uh, United States Geological Survey. And so I get, you know, whenever there's, there was just one off, anyway, there, there's, there's regularly, pretty much every day, there's something somewhere. In his bodily beauty, he was, he was just like Cupid. And in his thoughtfulness, he was like a lion. In his affection, he was like Swayambhuvamanu. And his ability to control, he was like Lord Brahma. In his personal behavior, Prithumaraj exhibited all good qualities. And in spiritual knowledge, he was exactly like Brihaspati. In self-control, he was like the supreme personality of God in himself. As far as his, excuse me, his devotional service was concerned, he was a great follower of devotees who were attached to cow protection and rendering of all service to the spiritual master and the brahmanas. He was perfect in his shyness and his gentle behavior. And when, he engaged, and when he engaged in some philanthropic activity, he worked as if he were working for his own personal self. Sounds like a good person to hang out with. <laughs> So, and it seems almost contradictory, right? Because he was a king, he was a ruler, but he, he, he could be shy and gentle. And when he was doing some philanthropic activity, he was working as if it was, you know, a selfish thing, but it obviously it wasn't. Um, he had spiritual knowledge, self-control, bhakti, protected animals, was uh, humble before saintly people. And Prabhupada writes uh, at the very end of the purport, uh, in other words, his philanthropic activities were not for the sake of show, but were performed out of personal feeling and commitment. All philanthropic activities should be thus performed. So that, that is the idea, right? The idea uh, ultimately of uh, charity, because you can give charity in, with different motivations, right? That's mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, right? Um, and so sometimes uh, we, we do this, uh, sometimes I w worked with groups, we did this with the GBC, where we call, uh, we had a program called uh, Agata Saka, right? You, you, so you, we put names in a hat, and everyone got a name of the, one of the members, and you had to do some kind of service for that person without them knowing who you are, right? So somebody would like, you know, hang a, you know, few, you know some, some lunch or some sandwiches or something on somebody's door, you know, when they got back at the end of the day or, you know, do all kinds of things. But, you know, that's um, the, the, in the material consciousness, the, the, the highest kind of charity is just doing something because it's, it's your duty, 
It's meant to be done. But then above that, on the spiritual level, is doing it out of affection, out of, out of bhakti, right? Uh, just for the pleasure. But, you know, let's face it, sometimes, you know, we, 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 we'll do something and we like being, you know, like told, oh, that was very kind of you that you did that service or donated that or whatever like that. But um, so sometimes there's some ego involved there. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. But we, could, we can purify our consciousness to eventually do it for more altruistic purpose, uh, reasons or ultimately devotional reasons. But, yeah. Some thoughts? Yes. So sometimes what happens if I feel like, you know, I'm going to temple and I can give somebody a ride. So many cases is okay, but sometimes the person becomes used to it. Used to it. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't give him. <laughs> well, that's another, that's a, that's a different uh, way of looking at it, yes. Well, it also goes to show that the recipient of charity should be grateful and not take things for granted. And Krishna's like that. Actually, we're going to talk about that today during the open house because today's a volunteer day because we're trying to spruce up the place in, in preparation for our big festival on Friday. Um, and Krishna is, because um, gratitude is one of the greatest qualities a human being can have, isn't it? Right? You know? Um, and it's explained how Krishna is very grateful. Even for the smallest service that we render to God, there's that gratitude. But you can, um, but like you're saying, in this example you're giving, that the person might have been, has some gratitude, but also... Uh, maybe got a little used to it, huh? And the, the gratitude took, um, kind of went a little in the background. But it's, uh, it's actually a great practice, even whether one's a spiritualist or just wants to be a good human being, to, you know, you wake up in the morning and think of, a, you know, three things or whatever that you're grateful for. Right. You know, what, what is that saying that a lot of people are, they're stepping on the flowers and pointing out all the weeds. Is that, is that the saying? Something like that? But you get the idea, right? That sometimes we can get really kind of, you know. But it's, it's, um, it's like when Bhakti Tirtamaraj was leaving this world, right? He was on, practically on his deathbed. And he was hearing about Krishna. And he was just, he was just said he was so grateful for that opportunity. So that, that's a real, not an easy... Level, but we, we, you know, it's good to be grateful for that, and also to put things in perspective. You know, you get a flat tire; it really is a first-world problem, right? When you think about it, it's it's it's, you know, the people. How many people living on less than two dollars a day? It's in the billions, right? Right, and then you know, we think uh, somebody took our parking space. I mean, I'm. <laughs> Because I get that at, at, you know, sometimes, I mean, I must admit, I think I told you, you know, my job is to hear people's problems, and I do my job, and I do it well, and I never give it away. But sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, could you just get a life, you know? <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, because I do get things like they took my parking spot, or somebody said that the person in the next cubicle was eating their cashews too loudly on purpose to disturb them. And so I didn't, you know, I did my job, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh. 
really? <laughs> but it goes to show you. But at the same time, I do. But I, I, you know, that that I catch myself because I find because remember we talk about empathy, right? So what might seem insignificant to us, you know, um, it's it's all in uh, it's all in the eyes of the person who's perceiving things. So uh, so I do act, you know, I catch myself, I act respectfully, and often it's, you know, the cashews is like the tip of the iceberg, but actually they're dealing with, uh, like this person who came to the cashews, as we started talking, they're living in a lot of anxiety because they're dealing with, uh, you know, the sandwich generation, you're taking care of older people and you're taking care of young children, your, your parents and your young children at the same time, and it's a lot of anxiety, it's, it's not, you know, so, but I didn't, if I would have just like, laughed at their cashews, we never would have gotten to that, that level. So, moral of the story is don't laugh at cashews. No, but seriously, um, Phila, you know, Krishna sets a very high bar in the Bhagavad Gita about things. And even in charity, the, the idea of just giving it because it's meant to be done or doing it out of devotion is, uh, and so just like Naratam Das, was it Naratam? He did his service to Lokanath Swami and he, he, he made sure that his guru never saw him doing it. Just wanted to, didn't want the recognition, just wanted the service. Question about this sandwich generation you're talking about? Yeah. So somehow this is just my observation, maybe wrong. We are leaning towards children more than parents, right? So we do everything, we take a loan for the college and do everything for children. But uh, if you compare very little to parents. I guess it uh, depends on the family, right? And uh, things, yes, but um, we know from our tradition that it's very important to respect elders and to take care of them. I mean, think about everything they did for us. Right. Respect is okay, but you know, if you think, you know, if you send you well, you don't have to pay to tuition college, for you know, your parents anymore, but you do have to take care of them. College costs like fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, so you multiply by four. And if you take the same money, if you have to spend on your parents, I think many people think three, four, five times. You know, yeah. I have to spend that much money. It's like we're leaning towards more towards kids than parents. Well, in the, in the Shastra, it says that there are people that should be taken care of, right? And some of them are the elderly and children. Who else? Brahmanas, women, protected, uh, cows, yeah, animals, right? So, you know, if for us, the duty is, uh, is a little bit more across the board. But... Yeah, I guess when, when my mom was living with us in India, we were more focused on her. My son was in school and kind of on automatic pilot, but she had her needs. So it was more, it was easy there than here. We were able to um, hire three nurses, so eight-hour shifts, three eight-hour shifts, so she had 24-hour care. Um, but um, that maybe, that, maybe that's a little misplaced. Uh, you know, it, it depends on things, you know. By Krishna's mercy, my son went to a state college, <laughs> state university, so it was a lot less expensive. <laughs> yeah. 
But everyone should be taking, you know, uh, all of our dependents, you know, it's the duty of a, of a householder to take care of their dependents properly. And dependents means parents and, you know. Also, <laughs> if you don't take care of your parents so well, what kind of example are you setting for your kids when it's, your, when it's their turn to take care of you? <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a little selfish, self-preservation going on there, but, uh, <laughs> but I actually, I thought that was important that my son saw the example of my wife and I taking care of my mom, you know, very carefully. And I always told my son, uh, since he was, you know, old enough to think about these things that, uh, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll be okay, but, you know, your responsibility for the rest of your life is to take care of your mom. Right? When she gets older, that is your, you know, and he kind of has that. And I'm sure your sons would take care of you if the push comes in. <laughs> no, they would. They would. <laughs> You've been taking care of them, so... But, you know, but there is this idea that very much the, the pratishta in the Bhagavad Gita, the basis of the Bhagavad Gita is duty. Now, the, the goal of the Bhagavad Gita is love, but the basis of, of, um, of even coming to love is doing our duty properly. Right? And so we have, we have so many, we have responsibilities, and some of the main ones are to our parents, to our children, to our community. Right, we have duties to perform. Now, if we can do that uh, with love, of course, that's ultimately Krishna's instruction. But he doesn't, and what he discourages is capricious work. Right? Capricious means, you know, oh, it's such a pain in the neck, I'm just going to get out of this situation. Look out for number one. Right? That's not what, uh, that, that's um, very discouraged in the Bhagavad Gita. Right? Karma nevarikarasthe mafaleshu kadachana, Krishna says, famous verse, right? That we have, we have, we have, we should perform our prescribed duties, um, but not necessarily be attached to the results of that. But that part of that is, oh, this, you know, it's just, it is kind of uh, society today, perhaps more than in the past, that we um, tend to be less dutiful and more self-absorbed. Like that. Is that all right? Other thoughts? Yes. I, I just want to say that just to his point about how, how much he has, you have to pay for college and all of that. I his think, daughter's a doctor, so you know. Yeah, but, but I, think, <laughs> I think we have to be real, really honest with ourselves to see what, uh, first of all, what is uh, the real need of the human society, mothers and children, and, and that really is Krishna consciousness. And it may not be that you have the means to, I mean, I have nothing to pay to take care of my mother, but I'm physically there, and I give her my care and my presence and, and my service. And, but I, there's no question of me being able to send her to some fancy five-star assisted living something, or even pay to have someone come. Yeah. And uh, same thing with children. Uh, I think that parents have to give the best of what they have in all sincerity and not lose their Krishna consciousness. I think there's a boundary around that, um, that we're not obliged to now become a, a mudha in the interest of taking care of the physical needs. Obviously, food, shelter, safety, all of that. But I think that you know the most important need we have is to 
remain Krishna conscious and give that to our children and our parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somehow. What's that saying in the Bible? The Oh yeah, what what is the uh, use if a man uh, wins the whole world and loses his soul? Yeah, something along something those like lines. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I think there's limits to what, what yeah. when we think of like you said, wants and needs or needs and greeds. Uh, needs and greeds. I like yeah, that. <laughs> it's a limit. Very good. So shall we go on? Yeah. The last verse of this chapter is throughout the whole universe and the higher, lower, and middle planetary systems, Prithu Maharaj's reputation was loudly declared. And all ladies and saintly persons heard his glories, which were as sweet as the glories of Lord Ramachandra. So now, the next chapter, I'll give you a little summary. I actually did some homework on that, if I can find it. I have so many Word files open. Second. Okay, so if you remember a uh, little history here, so uh, Prithu Maharaj was uh, born with uh, who? What's his wife's name? Archie. Archie yes, uh, through the churning that the Brahmanas did, right? And uh, his mission, as we said, was to show the uh, example of an ideal king and also to reestablish the religious practices that his father had stopped. Right? Uh, so then he started, you know, uh, the next chapter, he's getting older and he starts performing uh, austerities, right? Spiritual practices and austerities and, and eating very little, even less than you, <laughs> eating very little. Uh, but the interesting point here is that he does all these austerities for Krishna's satisfaction. Because right? you can perform austerities to get material powers or to you know, you know, get a six-pack or whatever it is or you know, different things. But he did it for, um, he, uh, he, did his, he did yoga uh, in the mood of bhakti as a service to Krishna. So that was again very instructive. Right, to try to, as we were talking earlier about connecting our lives in different ways to Krishna. Right? Uh, and Srila Prabhupada was saying that we can't necessarily, we can't imitate Prithu, but then he spoke about the glories of living in an ashram. Right? Because when you're living uh, in an ashram, how many of you have had an ashram experience? Okay, not so many, three. Okay. Oh, me too. <laughs> Forgot about me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so when you're, uh, and you were in Germany first, right? Is that where you joined? Yeah, in Germany. Where were you, Gurudas? Right here. Okay. Who else had their hand up? Oh, where were you? In Boston. And Utah. And Hawaii. Surf's up. Okay. Uh, I was in uh, Detroit. Ann Arbor. That's where I went to college. And Detroit. I think those are the places. So it's yeah, it's a, it's a um, it's such a wonderful experience because it's like it's like a spiritual boot camp, right? Because you, you know we get you get up at four in the morning, you go to the whole spiritual program for four and a half hours, and then you do different services, and then again in the evening uh, go to the temple, and then 
sleep, and then the next day, same thing. It's right, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, and you develop so much camaraderie with your uh, peers because you know you're you're doing this uh, austerity together. So Prabhupada was glorifying that 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 would be our um, uh, our uh, equivalent to Prithu's practices, and we have less people who do that today. We have much more of a congregational. Uh, organization than we did in the in the early days of uh, our society, yet we we've talked and um, about try to have like at least like three day or seven day retreats where people can have that experience. Um, it's it's and you've done that uh, Nandamuki. You've stayed here for some time, yeah, like that. It's it's a uh, it's a very it's wonderful actually. I did it. How long did you do it for Gurudas? Yeah. Four years. And you were living in Ashram for like ever. I've always lived in Ashram. Yeah, I've always lived in Ashram. Yeah, so forty plus years. And for me, I was a I was I was a monk for eleven, almost twelve years. And as I tell people uh, at work, because I always tell people that they always find find it interesting, right? I was a monk for twelve years, and I always tell them. And then I met my, the person who was going to be my future wife, and that was the end of being a monk. And they all laugh. And, you know, she laughs. What's well, true? <laughs> What's that? So you become a monk again. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> okay, so uh, what else about, about this chapter? Um, oops, I had it opened. Uh, okay, so he was getting older. So he, um, so then he leaves this world in an exemplary way, and goes back to Godhead. And uh, Archie, Archie, his wife, who was living in a, pal you know, she's living in a palace her whole life. But when he was performing these austerities, she volunteered, chose to also perform these same austerities, and live in the forest. Um, and she uh, also returned back to Godhead by the power of her devotion. And then there's all, the, at the very end, there's the uh, Shruti Fal, the, uh, the fruits of hearing about Maharaj Prithu. And it's interesting, they start in like, um, you could even consider like a material benefits, but they end by talking about the glories of pure devotional service and only wanting the benediction of coming closer to Krishna by hearing about a great devotee like Prithu Maharaj. So that's, that's an overview of this chapter. Okay. So, um, at the last stage of his life, when Prithumara saw himself getting old, that great soul who was king of the world divided whatever opulence he had accumulated amongst all kinds of living entities, moving and non-moving. So in other words, his, um, in his will, he left everything to the, to the citizens. He arranged pensions for everyone according to religious principles, and after executing the orders of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in complete coordination with him, he dedicated his sons unto the earth, which was considered to be his daughter. Then Maharaj Prithu left the presence of his citizens, who were almost lamenting and crying from feeling separations from the king, and went to the forest alone with his wife to perform austerities. After retiring from family life, Maharaj Prithu strictly followed the regulations 
of retired life and underwent severe austerities in the forest. He engaged in these activities as seriously as he had formerly engaged in leading the government and conquering others. So that's, uh, yeah. Um, I sometimes wish, when I see some people, you know, even in government work or someone in a, doing a startup or, or whatever, or, or my present, um, my recently acquired daughter-in-law is a doctor and seeing how diligently she, uh, she practices her profession. And sometimes I kind of wish I could be as serious about my spiritual practices as they were uh, about their, uh, their, their various duties. Yeah. <laughs> After retiring from family life, Maharaj Pritu strict, did I read that already? Yes, I did. In the Tapovan, Maharaj Prithu sometimes ate the trunks and roots of trees, and sometimes he ate fruit and dried leaves, and sometimes weeks, some weeks he drank only water. And then he, perfect, and then he perfected his yoga by, uh, um, you know, so this is not recommended, by the way, <laughs> um, that he lived simply by breathing air. But Prabhupada goes on to say something interesting in the purport. He says, uh, Overeating is not at all recommended for one who wants to progress in spiritual life. Right? So one time he joked with a, uh, a, a disciple. The disciple wanted to uh, become a renunciate, a sannyasi. And Prabhupada joked with him uh, and said, you are fat, not fit to be a sannyasi. <laughs> right? But uh, it's... Uh, then he says, Srila Rupa Goswami warns that too much eating and too much endeavor uh, for material things are against the principles by which one can advance in spiritual life. Right? So the idea is that um, instead of having our senses control us, we control our senses. Right? And we dovetail that. The, the eyes want to see beautiful things so we can see the beautiful form of the Lord. The ears want to hear wonderful things so we can have wonderful kirtans and pravacha and talks about Krishna, right? Um, but otherwise, so the, food, the, eye, the tongue wants to taste all kinds of great stuff, right? But at least make sure that it's prasadam, you know, it's vegetarian it's, and it's offered to Krishna. Um, and, you know, it's also different for different, uh, at different stages in our life, right? When we're young, you know, we can have... Uh, uh, maybe it's easier to digest uh, halava and pakoras and gulab jamuns and, and all those sort of things. And also, for me, you know, because I was not a vegetarian before I was a devotee, so for me, one of the most, most exciting things about becoming a devotee was prasadam and all the amazing varieties of, uh, of foodstuffs there was. But now, at 61, you know, Quinoa is looking really good, <laughs> right? or, or whatever, you know. Um, what is it? Do you want to eat to live or live to eat? <laughs> right? So it's, it, is, um, it is part of a spiritual practice to, um, to take care of our health and take care of, and that, part of that means, a lot of that means eating, right? If you follow the Ayurveda, right, that there's, 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 um, things that go well together and things that don't go well together. And according to your constitution, there's better things and not better things, right? Um, 
but it's, uh, as Prabhupada, at the end of his letter, he would write it, every single letter, I hope this meets you in good health, your ever well-wisher. Right? So it's, uh, some of us here um, don't have to worry about that. <laughs> oh, but um, it's, especially as we get older, it's easy to put on the pounds, isn't it? Right? So we, have, we should be uh, conscious of that. Managing your weight pretty good. I, I never seen you getting big. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I go for a checkup soon, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> keep try to keep busy, and things like that. But yes, we you know we um, kitri is a very good prasadam, <laughs> right? Rice. It has beans and rice, and you know. Um, Anyway, we won't get into all the details about health, but um, it is, you know, this really, so for a devotee, they think this body is meant for service to Krishna, right? It's, uh, it's not going to last forever, but as long as I have it, I should, you know, it's irresponsible of me to just not take care of it, right? So, so even that can be connected with bhakti, even something like taking care of health. So... Um, Prabhupada was very good about this when he was, you know, he would, uh, he would have a massage every day. Massage is very good for your health, right? And he would walk, vigorous walk. Right? And I was just, I was just um, listening to this one, Dr. Bernard, who's a well-known uh, vegan. You've heard of him? Yeah. And he's, he was talking about his, parent, his father had um, Alzheimer's. And he said it was so sad because, you know, because my mom also had, at the very end of her life had dementia. And it's like you're not talking to the person that you've known your whole life. Right. And one of the things he was saying, a simple thing for, as people to get older is at least three times a week a vigorous walk. And Prabhupada did it seven, six or seven times a week. Right? Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, you have to, anyway, you, you can do different things. But even brisk walking is good. And uh, not too much pizza. Ma mantra? Not too much pizza. <laughs> Other thoughts on this? Okay. So, following the principles of forest living and the footsteps of great sages and munis, um, Prithu Maharaj accepted five kinds of heating processes during the summer seasons, exposed himself to torrents of rain in the rainy season, and in the winter stood in the water up to his neck. So these, these are not recommended for this age, but these are the kind of austerities he performed just to get out of the whole, because you know, he obviously as a king, his whole life was, he was pampered. And that's the principle. Right? We, don't, we obviously don't have to follow the example, but the, um, You know, we, we, we go from our air-conditioned car to our air-conditioned garage to our air-conditioned, no, our air-conditioned house to our air-conditioned car to our air-conditioned garage, garage, then car, then drive into the, you know, the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> parking garage at work and then go to our air-conditioned office. And, you know, there's not, uh, it was very good for us, especially as a young couple living in India, um, because it was just natural austerities, as you know, right? You know, just the electricity goes off and it's 100 degrees and 
you know, but it was, it was it, it, I learned tolerance, right? And living as a monk, you sleep on the floor. And uh, all of my possessions, for those 11 years, I could fit in a box like an apple crate. All of my worldly possessions. Now I can't fit them in a mansion, but, you know, but anyway, you know, uh, for that time, you know, a box about this big. And it was, such a, it was actually such a liberating life. It wasn't meant for my whole life, but it was so liberating to just not, no worries about money, no worries about possessions. It was a very, uh, it was a, liberating is the word that I can think of, very liberating life. Yeah, Ram Baruch, some thoughts on that? Well, whatever you own, owns you, there's a saying. <laughs> yes, and right. it, it's really true. The more stuff you have outside, the more poverty you have inside because you have a piece of your brain is attached to everything and is sucking energy into that thing. And so it's very liberating to let go of stuff and to yeah. you get more energy then for yourself. I mean, again, it's a question of being practical. Um, it's, there's nothing wrong with uh, us all having our quota of uh, things in this world. And even Prabhupada writes in Nectar Devotion that uh, it's fine to uh, live comfortably, but practice bhakti yoga. Right? So it may be different for each of us. <coughs> but the principle... Because there was, there was great kings and great super wealthy people who just thought, but nothing is mine, everything is Krishna's. And there's a pauper who's proud of their penny. You like that? What did he say? He said he liked your, uh, the saying that whatever you own, owns you. Okay. Yeah. Well, and we see here in, in the example of Maharaj Prichu and other great kings there, there's a cutoff point, you know. It, yeah. Like we, ha there's a time when you go, okay, this is a time to start letting go, downsizing, giving to my children. My father didn't let anything go, and it has been an enormous cleanup of, yeah. of all his unnecessary stuff. And it, it's kind of ungrateful to your children to leave all of that work to them. <laughs> Do it before point. you die. Yes. Down, downsizing as we get older is not a bad yeah. Uh, idea, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's interesting how, you know, there's different times. There, what is that? Uh, I don't know if it's in the Bible or is it a bird song? To everything, turn, 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 there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So it's, it's kind of like that. And the Vedic system is kind of like that, right? You start brahmachari, student, you get married, grihasta, and then after some time, retired life, you know, and, uh, yeah, relinquishing things. And then ultimately, as we said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? We come to the world with nothing, and we leave the world with nothing. And in, and in between, we think we have a lot of possessions. So we do things dutifully. We have, we have a nice house or apartment or whatever, take care of the family, the children, and things like that. But, um, but with an eye to uh, understanding the ultimate proprietor. Yes? That just points up the need for Vedic knowledge in the world because there's no 
Mo mostly, there's no materialist who could actually do that oh. without without a sense of of right. Ultimately, purpose. the spiritual. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, uh, real renunciation is 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 love. Is having so much devotion for God. It's not that you have to artificially give up anything. That's kind of the idea. But you have such a higher taste, such a inner happiness that your definition of what gives you happiness changes. I think that's, that's the point, right? De defining what gives us happiness uh, is, is what's adjusted, as, as you're pointing out so nicely. Yeah. And that's why, you know, to be, that's why I think you could do it for all your life or I could do it for 10 years because it was, I was, ha I, it was fun. <laughs> I was having a great time. What? Yeah, it was actually, you know, being renounced was really enjoyable. You know, then there came a time in my life where, you know, I got married and, you know, and got gainfully employed and all that stuff. But it was, but I do hark back at that experience as one of the best times of my life. Definitely. All right, well, we are done for this week, and there will not be class next week because everyone's going to be.